WLRN edition 75. Broadcasting in three, two, one. I was born woman. Off my knees, I will stand for my liberation. Sisters, rise again. I was born woman. Off my knees, I will stand for my liberation. Rise and rise again. Greetings and welcome to the 75th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, July 7th, 2022. Happy summer from the studios of WLRN, nestled in the trees here in beautiful Madison, Wisconsin. This is Thistle broadcasting from my perch in the Mad City. This month's edition focuses on women's leadership in our feminist movement. We'll hear a roundtable discussion I did with Amy Sousa, Jessica Gonzalez, and Katie Jean, all boots-on-the-ground activists organizing women to come forward in creative and DIY ways for the rights of women and girls. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of our society be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Jennifer Billick with this month's Gender Industry Report from the 11th Hour blog. As you will hear in Jen's report, she is taking a leave of absence after today's show. WLRN would like to thank Jennifer Billick and the 11th Hour blog for contributing a monthly special report for the last year and a half to WLRN's airwaves. Thank you for your service, Jen. Hi all, this is Jennifer Billick. I engage you from the 11th Hour blog about the intersections of technology, the gender industry, and capitalism. I have enjoyed making these posts for WLRN and regret to say I will be taking a sabbatical from them for the reason I feel spread too thin. I hope my latest article in Tablet Magazine, a Jewish intellectual platform about the Pritzker family's mechanizations to drive the concept of there being more than two sexes in humans into all our institutions will encourage you all to start following the money yourselves. The political apparatus behind debates about gender to drive a techno-religious doctrine with no base in reality is a juggernaut that is not going away. It is my firm belief that if women do not start talking about this apparatus that is at this point undeniably fused to the techno-medical complex, we will have no chance to secure women's rights against this onslaught. We must start connecting the rapid decimation of women's rights and sexual dimorphism to the larger picture of the advancements in biotechnology and AI and the pursuit of taking over human reproduction with technology. With my research, I have provided a head start, but I am one woman with one blog. The work must grow wings and take flight throughout other countries and within feminist and women's rights movements everywhere. The rich oligarchs at the head of our cultures make no secret of what they perceive as the future of humanity, and it does not ultimately include biological reproduction by men and women. 
Mark Zuckerberg talks about a metaverse of augmented reality with holograms and AI that is overlaid on actual reality. Martine Rothblatt, a transhumanist who authored the first gender bill and who has appropriated female biology for himself, believes, as his mentor Ray Kurzweil of Google believes, we will eventually transcend the flesh and live in a singularity, another name for a metaverse. Google has funded the Trevor Project millions of dollars. The Trevor Project is an NGO purportedly to help LGBTQI youth in crisis, and Google is helping them leverage artificial intelligence. The new national sex education standards being driven into Chicago grade schools, which teach young people gender ideology and normalize the use of body dissociation and cross-sex hormones for children, are funded by the Grove Institute, a philanthropy organization started by the owner of Intel Corporation. Elon Musk discusses the creation of a Neuralink, connecting us all virtually. Yuval Noah Harari is one of the best-known public intellectuals of our time. His books have sold 27.5 million copies in 60 languages. He is the top advisor to Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum and echoes both Rothblatt and Kurzweil in his belief that we are creating God. His speeches also define a technological reality overlaid with biological reality. What we are witnessing has so little to do with expression and identity, as little to do with stereotypes ultimately, and has everything to do with creating a bridge to virtual reality. The bridge is women's reproductive capacity transferred to the technology industry, and they will have a whole lot of practice with a large swath of young people to experiment on who will be sterilized through the indoctrination that they can become the opposite sex. Women are in the way. We must communicate this to others, help them understand the industry underway toward the takeover of our biology. Thank you. I hope to be back with more reports soon. Please visit me at the 11th Hour blog, and many thanks to WLRN for their formidable work and this platform. Thanks again, Jen. We appreciate all that you do to inform our listeners and the public of the dangers of the gender industry. Now we turn to WLRN's World News segment with Emily Ann Lorenzen. Take it away, Emily. Thanks, Thistle. FINA, the world governing body of water sports, voted to restrict participation of trans-identified athletes in women's events and is looking into creating a quote-unquote open competition category. This decision also affects the NCAA because the organization defers to FINA's rules. Leah Thomas became the first trans-identified NCAA champion in Division I history when he won the women's 500-yard freestyle in March. And his win has forced the sports world to take a closer look at how devastating it is to women's sports for trans-identified men to compete with women. The FINA policy requires that trans-identified swimmers complete their transition by the age of 12 in order to compete. This requirement raises the question of whether this will influence more children to transition. Trans-identified men cheating in women's sports is not only limited to swimming. Richie Trez, a 29-year-old man from Los Angeles, won the Border Open Skateboarding Competition against 13-year-old Shiloh Katori. Four of the six finalists were under the age of 17, and the youngest was 10 years old. The man attempted to participate, 
in the Women's Street USA Skateboarding National Championships, but he was rejected because his testosterone levels were too high. Skateboarder Taylor Silverman, who has been skating for 11 years and lost to trans-identified males twice, spoke out when Trez won the competition. Taylor placed second against a trans-identified male in May during the Red Bull Cornerstone competition. In a post, she wrote, quote, I deserve to place first, be acknowledged for my win, and get paid. I reached out to Red Bull and was ignored. I am sick of being bullied into silence, unquote. Brazilian feminist Isabella Sepa is facing up to 25 years in prison for calling a trans-identified male politician a man in a social media post. The man, Erica Hilton, was elected in 2020 and given the title of most voted for woman in Brazil. Isabella questioned why the most voted for woman was actually a man, and her world turned upside down after that moment. In 2019, Brazil's Supreme Federal Court ruled that discrimination against the LGBTQ community constituted a penal offense, but fell under existing race-based protections as a form of quote-unquote social racism. This decision came a few years after the state police in Sao Paulo started to include trans-identified males in femicide statistics. Isabella found out about the charges through a news article, and despite not yet receiving a formal copy of the charges, she has put together a team of 12 female lawyers to fight on her behalf. Traffickers are using social media groups and communications apps to sexually exploit and traffic Ukrainian women and children seeking shelter. They are infiltrating digital spaces where refugees are looking for assistance to spread misinformation and pose as well-meaning volunteers to house those in need. There has been an increase in human trafficking in Ukraine since Russia invaded four months ago, and there has been a 200% increase in Google searches for Ukrainian escorts in the UK. Searches for Ukrainian porn have also increased. Experts say that tech companies could be doing more to protect Ukrainians from human trafficking. During a debate on the human rights of women and girls in Afghanistan held by the UN Human Rights Council, the grim reality of women and girls in the country was revealed by Fauzia Kufi, the former first woman vice president of the Afghan parliament. This is what she had to say. Afghanistan is suffering from multidimensional problems, from humanitarian crisis to human rights crisis to political crisis. The situation of women and, and girls in Afghanistan are very unique and dire. It is not normal. Definitely, it is not normal anywhere in the world, and especially in the rest of Muslim, Muslim countries. If you look at the figures from 28% women who were in parliament representing the diversity and beauty of their country to 0% participation, from 30% or more women in the civil service of their country to 0%. From 4 million children, girl children in school, now to almost 1.5 million only in school. From the fact that every day there is at least one or two women who commit suicide for the lack of opportunity, for the mental health, the pressure they receive, 
The fact that girls as young as nine years old are being sold, not only because of economic pressure, but because of the fact that there is no hope for them, for their family, it is not normal. Let's not think that women of Afghanistan deserve this situation. In the U.S., the Supreme Court voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, eliminating the nearly 50-year-old federal constitutional right for women to have an abortion. At least 10 states have effectively banned abortion, and 26 states have laws that could outlaw or set extreme limits on abortions. Pro-choice protests have erupted across the country, while anti-abortion activists are rejoicing in the decision. Many women are trying to cope with feelings of shock and anger in the face of this devastating news. The French radical feminist collective La Amazon created public art that celebrates women who have stood up for women's sex-based rights. Using pictures of great feminist figures from all over the world, including J.K. Rowling, Megan Murphy, Chimanda Ngozi Adichie, and Vashnavi Sundar, the group spelled Shiro's on a wall. The group's Twitter page posted, quote, We thank them for their courage to speak out when the threats, harassment, and violence are so big upon us women who dare speak the truth and who are called TERFs because of it. Unquote. On July 4th, women gathered in Spring Grove, Illinois, to march in the community's annual 4th of July parade. Under the banner of Save Women Sports, Emily Cott, Carrie Bruss, Jeanette Cooper, Mira, and others marched proudly in the parade, often receiving positive feedback from the crowd. SaveWomenSports.com. Thank you for being here. Contrast this triumphant display of courage and fortitude with what happened only miles away from where these women were in Highland Park, Illinois, where a 21-year-old man named Robert E. Crimp, dressed in women's clothing, allegedly committed a mass shooting killing seven people while injuring 36 others. We know, again in this far too common story, that the shooter was a young white male, not a woman. Our women were marching and standing tall and strong in the summer heat, unarmed except with the words, save women's sports. Women and all people deserve a place in society free of male violence. WLRN shares our condolences with everyone who was affected by the Highland Park massacre, and we hope that all of you, our dear listeners, are safe after this past holiday weekend. Our final story is about July 4th and what Americans were up to this past Independence Day. Iconic stars Bette Midler and Macy Gray came out publicly against the erasure of women. Midler, in her tweet states, quote, Women of the world, we are being stripped of our rights over our bodies, our lives, and even our name. They don't call us women anymore. They call us birthing people or menstruators or even people with vaginas. Don't let them erase you. Every human on earth owes you, unquote. Hers was a rallying cry that feminists worldwide cheered and affirmed. Legendary R&B singer Macy Gray also came out with similar statements in an interview with Piers Morgan, saying, quote, I will say this and everyone's gonna hate me, but as a woman, just because you go change your body parts doesn't make you a woman. Sorry, unquote. 
During the interview, she went on to say, quote, But if you want me to call you a her, I will, because that's what you want. But that doesn't make you a woman. Just because I call you a her, and just because you got surgery. Unquote. Of course, misogynists piled on these two entertainers, labeling them quote-unquote transphobic, but it doesn't seem that will stop them anytime soon. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for this Thursday, July 7th, 2022. I'm Emily Ann Lorenzen. Share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at womensliberationradionews.com and let us know what's going on. poor man on a poor man's vacation and they cuffed him and they confiscated his stuff and they dragged his black ass down to the station and said okay streets are safe now all your pretty white children could come out and see Spider-Run and they came out of their houses and they looked around they didn't see no one in my country Tis of they to take swings at each other on talk show TV Why don't you just go ahead and turn off the sun Cause we'll never live long enough to undo everything they've done to you
caught the last poor man Lying away in a shiny red cape They took him down to the station And they said, boy, you should have known better than to try to escape I ran away with the circus Cause there's still some honest work left for bearded ladies But it's not the same going town to town since they put everyone in jail Except the cleavers and the braiders And my country tis of thee To take swings at each other On talk show TV Why, why don't you just go ahead and Turn off the sun Cause we'll never live long enough To undo everything they've done to you That was Annie DeFranco with her song, Tis of Thee. Next up, we'll hear a roundtable discussion Thistle facilitated among three prominent feminist activists in the U.S. They discuss the term feminist leadership, defining it first and then fleshing out the discussion with their ideas and experiences working with women in America to get men's boots off our necks. This discussion today is going to be focused and I gave a set of questions to our speakers ahead of time for them to mull them over. So with that, I am going to begin by talking a little bit about Dr. Martin Luther King, a great American leader in our society who also found himself in a very historic moment and able to harness his power to speak to many, many, many Americans. And I was able to watch the drum major instinct because it really, I think informs our uniquely American discussion of leadership. He was also living during a very volatile time and had a lot of detractors and critics who not only were critical of his approach, but they were antagonistic and hostile. And many of you know that we feminists here organizing in the United States have many detractors who are hostile as well. And there's also, when you're talking about organizing, there's this question of leadership and who is on the mic? Who is doing what task to make our movement happen, to build the community that we need in order to have our voices heard and bring about social justice for women and girls? So in Dr. King's speech, his final speech in 1968 before he was assassinated, in, in that speech, The Drum Major Instinct, he talks about leadership as a form of service to our communities. And I think in feminism, our community is our sisterhood, that, that feeling of camaraderie, of togetherness. And if leadership is service to our community, that means that anyone can be a leader. And that, that's another thing I really liked about Dr. 
King's speech, the, the drum major instinct, he says that if, if we are in service to our community, then every single person in the community has a role to play. And I love that approach to leadership rather than our leaders uh, being people with fancy degrees and, um, you know, books and things that, that distinguish them and give them a high status in our society. Women's liberation is for all women. And WLRN and our live streamed events, our Speakers Corner events, Free Speech for Women events, are for any woman to find her voice and be a leader, tell her story and motivate and serve her community. So in that way, I feel that the type of leadership that I see in our feminist community mirrors and reflects the type of leadership that Dr. King is talking about in the drum major instinct. So I encourage all of our followers and listeners to um, tune in and, and listen to that amazing American speech uh, about leadership and how the drum major instinct is within each of us, harnessed for the good, or it can um, go awry. And we do see some of that happening in our feminist movement as well. So with no further ado, though, I chose these three women to speak with us today about feminist leadership because they are leaders in our feminist community. And um, I look forward to hearing what they have to say about leadership. And I'm going to introduce first Amy Sousa, who will answer the first question. Amy Sousa holds an MFA in theater from NYU, Tisch School of the Arts, and an MA in Depth Psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. She has 20 years of theater education experience with 15 years in the New York City public schools, teaching peer mediation, conflict resolution, anger management, self-esteem building, and literacy using theater engagement. She is currently a women's rights activist, educator, and facilitator whose work focuses on embodiment, boundaries, intuition, instincts, and, sen and sense perceptions as internal authority building practices. So welcome, Amy. And it is so fantastic to have you on the show today. And I'm going to hand it over to you and ask you, what does the word leadership conjure for you? And what is your definition of feminist leadership? Hey, thank you, Thistle, and thank you for having me. And it's great to be here with everyone today. Uh, yeah, you know, so I've been I've been thinking a lot about this, and you know, I'm glad that we're having this discussion because ultimately, you know, leadership I think is something that we're we're all thinking about right now, and I really see leadership as you know, the, being a leader is being uh, the one who inspires and the one who encourages and ultimately the one who leads by example. Uh, and I think that what we see in MLK and why he was so inspirational is because he really modeled and lived his values. Uh, and he was someone who lifted others up and encouraged them to speak. And you know, I'm not sure. I think the, you know, to, to speak of feminist leadership, um, 
you know, to say that my values are woman-centered, I think is very true. Um, but to say what is the particular kind of leadership that we need right here in this movement. And I think the kind of leadership that we need is the leadership that inspires. We are facing an industry you know, we, we are we are not just facing an ideology, although we are facing an ideology, but we are also facing an industry and that industry and ideology combined is global. So we are facing a, a mass global ideology with with five point two trillion dollars behind it, according to out leadership. So we are facing something massive. You know, this is this is a massive juggernaut of of a of a system at work against it, against us rather. And what we have going for us is we have um, grassroots. We have each other, and ultimately, I do think we have the majority. Um, but I think the 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 strategy that we really need to employ is one of encouraging one another you know and i remember back to when i was still speaking about this anonymously and i was very much inspired by the women that i saw out there you know i was inspired by kelly j keen even while she was still actually um, um, uh, Posey Parker. So, you know, she was actually having, she had to make that shift as well from using a pseudonym to using her real name. And I think that, you know, many of us go through that step from, from being anonymous to being public. And I think it starts with those little conversations that we have with one another. And then it starts with the, the conversations that we're having in our direct community. Uh, and then it, it kind of amplifies out. It, we, we have these reverberations um, where, where we inspire and then we encourage other people to also inspire those around them. And, you know, that's, that's really what I see. Um, you know, I try to live my values and, you know, for me, as you, as you sort of said in my val in my, in my bio, I very much see the movement that we are currently facing as one of being about disembodiment. You know, what, what are these gender identities? They're, they're a conceptualization. They're an abstraction. They're, they're, a, they're a think. You know, there's something we think about ourselves. They're they're external to us. So this is a movement of, of dissociation and disembodiment and dismemberment. I mean, we're they're literally cutting off body parts off of kids. It's it's creates cognitive dissonance. Um, it's it's objectifying. Uh, it's hypersexualizing. So all of these things are dissociative qualities. So what we also need right now um, is to remember our embodiment, remember our humanity, our physicality, our intuitions and our instincts and our sense perceptions and how important these things are. And I think that we can do a lot of this by simply living them, modeling them in our own lives, showing the people around us in our communities and online that, you know, this is possible. And, you know, if we can take 
you know, a small account with like 30 followers and encourage that woman to come to a women's free speech event. And, you know, suddenly, you know, she has 300 and then 3000 followers that that's how we grow this. You know, we, we spread awareness by spreading the message to each other and then encouraging each other to continue spreading that message. Exactly. Thank you so much, Amy. Um, yeah, courage calls to courage. We just had that event here in Madison and absolutely leaders inspire. Next, we're going to go to Katie Jean and ask Katie Jean the same question. Um, what is leadership? What does that term conjure in you? And um, what is your definition of feminist leadership? Oh, but first, um, let me introduce you. Katie Jean has been politically active for 25 years, especially defending abortion without excuse or apology. She discovered radical feminism after being called a bigot for the first time ever while talking on LinkedIn about the J.K. Rowling essay. Since then, she has been a loudmouth with a J.K. Rowling summoned me sign in numerous actions east of the Mississippi and all over the internet. She is founder of FEMAX, co-choreographer of XX Salute, an amateur stand-up comedian, and fun note, her voice has been picked up on WLRN at least two times prior to today. She is working this summer hosting FEMAX News Thursday nights of, by, and for women and girls and organizing free speech for women events at a city near you. So welcome, welcome, Katie Jean, and we look forward to hearing your answers to the question. Hi, Thistle. Thank you so much for having me on. Hi, Amy. Hi, Jessica. What a blockbuster panel here. Um, so thank you for including me in it. Uh, leadership. You know, um, I think the most important thing about leadership and just piggybacking on what Amy said about um, inspiring is, are you doing something that other people want to follow and do what you're doing? And if so, then you're a leader, right? So um, some of us still need to figure out exactly that that right formula of how to um, of, of, of how to do something that other women can identify with and associate um, to, and um, you know, join join up with you, and um, and 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 that's fine. Um, but but as long as you're doing something that other people, uh, other women want want to follow in, in line with what you're doing, um, then that uh, makes you a leader. I, I want to say there's lots of opportunity for leadership in um, in what we're doing. Um, I, I see our movement as being really kind of like on the early edge. I mean, feminism has been around, obviously, for forever. And as you said in the intro, I've been working on it for 25 years. Um, but this seems like something a, a little bit new. Um, defining defining women as a basis of being adult human female, um, and that we are a sex-based class, that we are oppressed on the basis of our sex. Um, uh, you know, men and women are different, that women have superior bodies because we can make human beings. I always say men's consolation prize is that they're bigger and stronger than us. Um, you know, that's what the gods or creators or whatever you believe in gave, gave men instead of the um, superior ability to create new human beings. But but because they are stronger and bigger than us, then that of course makes us vulnerable um, to their to their violent urges um, and um, and their um, domination and um, and the position that that puts us in as women to um, still have our own identity 
to feel safe around um, men and um, and to to be able to live out our lives as fully embodied human beings that women are. Um, so we are not we are not. Um, I, I, I see this male as default and women as other. And um, like, that's kind of one of my missions in life is to say, no, male and female are, there, there is no default. You could be male or you could be female. Um, there, there's not one that is the primary person and then the other that is a contrast to that. We are, um, if you will, yin and yang um, of, of humanity. Uh, so, uh, but um, back to leadership, um, just, wanting to ask women, you know, if you want to be a leader, to really think about how you're inviting women to come in and, and join what you're doing, how you can uh, elevate the skills that she has and, and tap that into to, to what you need. Um, and, uh, and really, you know, just have, having um, a brand and an identity and a culture and a value system. And the value system is really important uh, because as, as, as your idea gets challenged, whether it's from outside or from within, um, or for, for, from you know, women who you think you would be allied with, um, and yet um, you, you, you come at odds, uh, it's your value system that is gonna lead you through uh, um, and, and, and get you to, to the right side of that. So it's important to think in advance about what your values are going to be um, for your thing. But you know, there, there, there's so many um, niches and opportunities. I mean, like we have a need for, um, representing uh, representing women legislative, we, we we have a need for leadership just um, on the ground with protests, but also for supporting women as they're going through their um, multiple things. Whether that's um, you know obviously we need to maybe rethink how we're supporting women um, from an abuse shelter perspective because our abuse shelters are um, you know and um, safe havens are being overrun by men. So we need to uh, reconsider how we're going to deliver that. So we need women in in all aspects of this, you know, whether you're working with kids or older women or pregnant women um, or lesbians or um, athletes, um, th there's need, there's so many different inroads. So like find your niche, find the thing that really like turns your crank that you can um, work really hard on and um, because you'll need that to, to, to get you through it. Um, and then fi and find other women that want to join you. Um, but the last thing that I want to say at this all um, before you kick it over to Jessica is that um, not only do we need leaders, but we also need women to kind of fill in the ranks underneath and behind those leaders, doing the um, doing you know all, all of the work that needs to be done to make to make any project go. So you don't have to be a leader to participate in what we're doing. You just have to be somebody who's willing to do the work, who's willing to show up, who's willing to get along, who's willing to have um, difficult conversations and um, stand up against um, adversity and and be a friend to, to other women in our movement. Thank you. Thank you so much, Katie Jean. I, I really appreciate that, um, that every woman can, can be a part of this movement. And what you said about leaders noticing women's skills and figuring out, well, where can she plug in? If she's good at writing, can she write the press release? If she's good at public relations, could she maybe be the police liaison? Because we need um, those types of roles to be fulfilled when we're doing our street demonstrations, for example. So awesome. Thank you so much. And sure. ne next, we're going to turn to Jessica Gonzalez, and she's going to answer the same question. Um, Jessica is an ordinary working class woman and the founder of the Turf Collective, an organi organization 
pursuing guerrilla approaches to fighting trans ideology. Turf Collective hosts semi-weekly chat sessions with gender critical women and radical feminists from all over the world called Turf Nights. There, she joins together decades-long activists and those newly peaked in wide-ranging conversations. They discuss the impact of gender ideology, protest actions, and participants are invited to imagine a future free of the impositions and requ requirements of the patriarchy. So thank you uh, for being here today, Jessica. I am going to put you on full screen and unmute you and um, you can answer the question. Hi there, thank you so much Thistle for inviting me to this panel. Um, it's really lovely to be with you and Amy and of course, Katie Jean. So, um, you know, I will just echo some of the things that I've already heard. Um, I do consider leadership to be service. That's how I viewed it for me. Um, it's a service. It's, it's like uh, the, the thing that I give back to this community so that then we may, you know, build this struggle and try to see some success in the future. I'll also echo what I heard you say earlier on in the conversation when you kicked off the panel that because it is service, anybody can be a leader. And I wholeheartedly believe that. So Katie Jean just mentioned that we don't just need women to step up and be, you know, hearkening back to MLK Jr.'s comment of, you know, bring the drum major. You, not every woman is going to be the drum major. We do need women to fill in the ranks. And Primarily, we need women to fill in the ranks because those are going to be the women that rise up to be the drum major in fairly short order because one of the challenges we face um, here in this gender critical, radical feminist space is uh, being feminist activists isn't all we do. We all have families and jobs and lives that we fill. And something I've noticed is that we can a lot of us can go really hard at our feminist activism for short periods of time. And then we need to be able to have replacements behind us. And we kind of do our service in waves. Um, so that's something I really want to get women in our movement thinking about is come, come to the front, uh, learn what's going on, um, work your way into what's going on and, and prepare yourself to take on those leadership roles because at some point you'll be needed because some women will have to step back and take care of the other aspects of your of their lives um that's just inherent to what we do because being feminist activists is like is not a full-time job to almost any of us and then in terms of what is feminist leadership specifically it's what we're doing here it's we're centering women's needs and priorities and we're not being diverted into into prioritizing anything else. Um, so really that's all I really wanted to, to talk about for my first answer here is anybody can be a leader. So everybody please join in. And when it's your time to shine, you'll kind of see it and know it. Uh, inspiration will strike and you'll get, you know, you know, get a hold of a good project that you really want to be a part of, or you really want to take charge of and, and you'll drive that. And, um, and, and I think you'll know, Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jessica. Yeah, burnout is a problem because we are mostly all volunteers. 
those of us who are leading in our grassroots boots on the ground feminist movement. And I love what you said about, I mean, some of us are doing, we're, we're doing this in service because it has to be done, not because we want to be in the spotlight necessarily. I mean, I was really nervous to come on to this live stream today. It's public speaking is not uh, my forte, but I feel like it's necessary. We need to ha come out with our real names and our faces and represent because we're, we're being silenced. We're being bullied and um, harassed just for wanting to state our opinions about women's rights. And that can be extremely tiring and can cause a lot of burnout. And so we need tons of women to join to join our ranks and, and come show and exercise their leadership in our movement. And um, with that, I'm gonna move on to our next uh, question and we'll go with what we'll have amy answer this question what are the repeated obstacles women face in our collective activism that you've noted and how can we dodge them or work through them to make progress toward our common values and goals amy Souza. i think there are uh, you know there, there's obstacles that are you know, private obstacles and there's obstacles that are sort of organizational obstacles. I think, you know, private obstacles are the obstacles that our sort of foe puts in front of us. So those, 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 those private obstacles um, are like, you know, going from being anonymous to going public. And there are a lot of very real obstacles to doing that. And I think they can be navigated in different ways. I think you know, it, it is hard if you are in a situation where you fear for your job. Um, but I, I do uh, encourage and hope to inspire women uh, to move through that. Uh, because I do think, you know, it will take some of us to do kind of the thing that Maya Forstetter has done, which is to come up against a job and fight it. You know, so, so it will take some women to challenge jobs uh, and to push back at organizations uh, that would threaten women over their jobs for speaking observable reality. You know, what we're talking about here is, is speaking observable reality, but I, I want to, you know, I do think it's fair to be honest uh, with those women who um, have fear around being public that it's it's real, you know, and there is some reality in that. Um, but I think it, it can be overcome by building better networks. So I think the more the more networks we have to support us, uh, the easier it will be for women to get more vocal and to become public, which will enable them to also be better leaders. Um, so I do encourage women to expand their networks, um, to be in, in chat groups about this on Facebook, um, to be in private DM groups on Twitter, um, to get involved with organizations like Jessica's, um, to, um, you know, be involved in like chats, like women are here today, because, you know, even, even connections are being built by, you know, being part of these live stream chats. So to build a community, um, that is, that is really fortifying. I mean, it's surprisingly fortifying when I, 
when I came sort of came public, um, I wrote this essay about uh, J.K. Rowling, and um, I, I wrote about how I thought J.K. Rowling was the new Me Too, and I posted this on Facebook, and that's that's when I went public to my community. I had already been public um, with amongst women <laughs> that I trusted, um, but that was really going public. But what helped me to be able to do that is that I had already built a foundation of community in private Facebook groups and on my Twitter. So uh, those people could come in and support me um, in these sort of arguments that I was having with my community. And it wasn't as scary and it wasn't as hard because I had already built up this um, community of women. So I think that's that's at the level of like where, where, you know, where we want to go from being anonymous to being more forward. Um, I do think there are more organizational challenges in the sense of like different countries will face different challenges. And for women in the United States, I think a huge hurdle that we face is being so spread out. So it's really important for us to try and build in-person networks in sort of um, rough geographical locations that we live in. You know, so I'm sort of on the, the West Coast. It's important for West Coast women to try to meet up and get together. You know, it's important for the women in the Midwest to do this or the women in the East Coast or the women in the South. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a critique that, you know, the, it, we do have a lot to learn from the UK feminists. I'll, I'll preface this with that. But, you know, I've heard people say, you know, where what are the American women doing? What are they doing? Because we see these amazing Speakers Corners events and we see our UK sisters at gatherings all together. Well, you know, their their country is frankly just much smaller um, and they have a lot more ability, you know, to drive for two or three hours and be able to meet up. And, and our country is so vast, you you know, it could take, you know, it could take five days to drive across the country. Mm -hmm. So, so I think there are some um, sort of structural and, and organizational problems at that level. And I, I would sort of also argue um, on our behalf that we are starting to meet it. You know, we we are starting to gather in person more. We are starting to have more women's free speech events. And it what it takes is um, for us to really be able to have multiple women in multiple locations doing this. And I think we've started to see it. You know, we had we had the double feature um, event that we hosted on WLRN last week and Katie Jean was there and um, we had a whole group, um, a new group of women who I think um, were new to some of us who have been in this conversation from South Carolina popping up to do this. And I think we can do that more, you know, and, and I, I would offer that, um, you know, organizations like WLRN, um, myself, others, we can host these um, uh, live streams and this spreads our message. You know, we don't have media, you know, we don't, we don't have, um, we don't have MSNBC, we don't have CNN, we don't have, you know, uh, the New York Times covering what we're doing. So we have to make our own media. Um, yeah. But by making our own media, we reclaim a lot of that power. And we also can use it to inspire and, and kind of bring others into that leadership. Absolutely. And eventually we will be so loud 
that they won't be able to ignore us anymore. Um, I think that that's where this movement is going. Is, and then we're going to have our numbers as well. We're going to have more and more women joining our ranks. So thank you, Amy. And now we'll go to Katie Jean, and she can um, answer the question about um, the obstacles that you have noted to organizing in the U.S. Right. So... I, I, yes, I think that we see numerous obstacles, but I just want to give women every encouragement in the world that and I, I, none of these obstacles have stopped me and they've hardly slowed me down. Um, the first thing that I'll say is to all those obnoxious men who um, want to show up and intimidate us and threaten us and talk over us and silence us, I'm not afraid of you. I am not afraid of you. I know that I am right in what I am saying and that I have a right to say it. I am an American citizen with inalienable rights, um, including the right to free speech, and it is my right to say what I have to say, and all I'm saying is the truth. So uh, if you are afraid um, to let me say the truth, then that reflects more on you than it does on me. Um, but I, I agree with Amy and what she said, and that is that we are a bit diluted in the system here, um, and that is because we... Um, there, I mean, so many things. Number one, we don't have we don't have media. We don't have a way to get our, our voice out. And, and, and further to that is to the extent that we are represented in, in the media. They say some outrageously false things about what this movement of women and girls is about and what it represents. I mean, the accusation that we are murderous or Nazis or fascists, uh, you know, we, we are none of those things. And, um, and that's, that's so insulting to me, but it also just reveals to me how male, uh, you know, in thinking that that perspective is, um, that, that is co coming at us. Um, because, um, I'm, I'm going to quote somebody else in their stand-up comedy line, but basically women don't shoot you unless you really, 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 really deserved it, right? You know, so like the point is, is that women don't, um, we don't go to violence. Ours is a nonviolent movement. We don't want to see anybody that is confused about their biological sex to um, hurt themselves, hurt other people, disappear from society. We just want our own spaces for, for women and girls to um, to have privacy while we are changing our clothes and um, going using the bathroom, um, dealing with our menstrual cycle and our lactating breasts and um, er, you know everything that you know our hormone swings in menopause and every aspect that there is um, about being a woman, which is being in a woman's body. Um, these are things that just require an element of privacy away from men and um, and and and. Any man that doesn't doesn't give that privacy and respect and space to us is simply wrong, and I know that they're wrong, and so that gives me so much confidence to go out and say what I have to say. Um, but you know, like I, I want to also make the point that I've been in activism for a long time, whether it's been party politics or you know what I call old school feminism or environmental issues, and I've always just felt like just some small little cog in the wheel or just, you know, like nobody even knows who I am. And yes, I believe like in my heart in democracy and in all those principles of one person, one vote. And, you know, my vote matters and, and you know, my activism matters and those phone calls that I'm making to say, you know, go vote for such and such candidate. I, you know, try to convince myself that all of that matters, but it's hard because you just kind of get drowned out. And yet, we're, whereas with with this movement that that we are in fighting against the gender industry, um, and uniting women and um, promoting radical feminist ideas um, against pornography, against surrogacy, in favor of um, mothers raising their own children, 
um, and um, you know, all, you know, all of the other tenants that people can see at the Women's Declaration. Support supporting um, that. Um, the, those interests um, is an opportunity where you do feel like you're making a difference. Like I, like I, like this protest wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gotten together with my friends and organized it. And we said things, and people passed by, and you know, it 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 gave them pause, and it it caused people to stop and think. And right. so, like in that way, I feel like what I'm doing is so much more meaningful here um, than it is in in any other area of activism. Um, <clears throat> Thank so uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Katie Jean. It is wonderful to be a boots on the ground activist with you here in the Midwest. I mean, when I see you out on the street and we're on the streets together, we're tight, you know, like yeah. it, it, we bond with one, uh, one another when we're in person. And when we have those obnoxious males up in our faces, we link arms and we literally are defending one another and it it makes us stronger so thank and, you so and much and it makes it reveals them as being the obnoxious human yeah. beings that they are just yeah. preventing women from speaking and singing and being friends and exercising our right our first amendment right which is which is just you know we have just as much of a first amendment right as anybody else and so so here we are um you know, standing in America in public and speaking because again, they're silencing us on social media. So we have no choice um, but to go out to the street. Okay. Can I make just one more small, tiny little point, Thistle? Sure. And that is um, when you are, um, you know, coming out to people kind of for the first time and saying that you are um, against the gender industry and you know what a woman is and, and all of that. Um, like you like you'll have to learn the way to approach it because there are ways to approach it where um just somehow how you say it it just repels people and but then if you learn like just that gentle way to identify yourself and explain yourself um then um you get a softer landing so i just really encourage women like just because of the way that you explained it and how it went with that one person or that one group of people that maybe didn't go so well but you can still you know you don't have to go and hide away um, from who you are just you know move on and find other people and, and work on your approach absolutely it takes practice uh and um the more you practice the better you will get all right so let's uh, turn now to jessica she is going to answer the question what are the obstacles jessica that you see in our um, movement today uh, thank you so much, Thistle. So I, it, from my point of view, I will say I believe the biggest obstacles we face are intimidation. And um, to echo what Amy was talking about earlier yet again is distance. So in terms of intimidation, um, what I've noticed about our opponents here in the United States, and I believe this is true world, worldwide, is that most of our opponents are paper tigers. Um, I won't deny that there have been a few incidents of violence against uh, TERFs. And yes, I use the word and term and, and own the term TERF. So I don't think that's a surprise to any of my fellow panelists here, my sister panelists here, or really anybody that might be watching. Um, so there have been some incidents of violence against us TERFs worldwide. What I will say for those incidents is that the women that have been uh, victimized by that violence have not been uh, grievously hurt to the point where it's super serious or life-threatening or most of the times that they've even needed medical attention it'll be a scrape or a bruise 
or something minor. That isn't to say that we shouldn't be afraid of the violence and we shouldn't be standing up uh, very seriously against it. We absolutely should. But I only say that to not to encourage women to not let threats of violence uh, be what necessarily keeps you home if if you're able to look at it and see that, you know, that's probably not going to be um, something that's going to hurt you really if you go out and you protest. It's something to make you, to get in your mind, to make you feel threatened and to try to keep you home. Um, so there is no shortcut to courage. Uh, you have to just be determined and be resolute and be committed to going out there and stating your truth regardless of what may come. Uh, and women will have to decide for themselves. Are they are they willing to go out and stand up for what they believe in or will they be scared into staying home? Nobody else can make this decision for us. I've made the decision and will continue to make the decision to show up in the street and present myself pu publicly and vocally whenever the opportunity arises. Um, and that does something uh, to help normalize and neutralize, uh, you know, the stand against us. Okay. You know, the more of us that are willing to come up and show up, and I really can't stress enough how proud I am of the sisters that showed up in South Carolina recently, because that was such a win because I've been protesting coast to coast in this country for a year now, and I'm very happy to do it. And I'm very proud to do it if, and when I have the time and resources to do so, but I love, thank you so much, Alex, for your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because some of us have taken to solving this problem of distance that was mentioned a little earlier by organizing regionally. So for example, I live in Pennsylvania, but I take the mid-Atlantic region. So I'll drive anywhere, New York City, Philadelphia, uh, down to Washington, DC to participate in protests. And if we all take this kind of a regional approach, we make the job a little bit easier. We make it more manageable. So I really wanna thank you yet again, Alex, for taking up the stand in the South that's so vital, so important, and helps fill in what we're doing across the country. So um, we do have challenges. We do have obstacles. And as you see here, uh, women are standing up and showing up to help fill in those gaps. So thank you.
This is Joe Brew. You are listening to WLRN. Feminist leadership is a peculiar idea. It's a sticky subject. Feminism isn't supposed to have leaders. That's what I learned from lesbian feminist mentors of the 20th century. No leaders, no celebrities. A movement of equals where every woman's voice is heard, valued, and respected. It's a good ideal, but I have to admit that it's more of an ideal than a reality. It's difficult for any group of human beings to not eventually shake out a leader or two and develop hierarchical dynamics. We have to consciously resist those tendencies, and it's hard to do. Feminist leaders don't necessarily set out wanting to be leaders, but they find themselves leading because of their ideas, or the amount of time they spend doing activist work, or because of their personalities, or a combination of all these factors. They end up in positions of leadership because the women who admire them, trust them, and learn from them become their followers. This leader-follower division isn't automatically a ticket to inequality within the feminist movement, nor is it inherently corrosive. But it does require careful management. Leadership is a responsibility. It grants you a certain degree of power, which you can use either to further the cause or to damage it. I think that's an important point to remember whether you're a feminist leader or a feminist follower. Our work, our consciousness-raising discourse, our social and cultural critiques, the choices we make in our personal lives, all of it should be about the feminist cause, the global liberation of the female sex from male oppression, not about any individual woman, including ourselves. If we're going to have feminist leaders, and we probably can't avoid it, then we should be conscientious of what makes a good leader and what makes a bad one. In the feminist movement, a good leader leads other women deeper into a feminist way of life, into a feminist frame of mind, and serves as a guide back to feminist principles for women who find themselves falling onto heteropatriarchal thinking. A bad feminist leader gets caught up in her own ego and focuses more on herself as an influential figure, with fans and followers, than on the cause and how she's contributing to it. A bad feminist leader tries to become a celebrity within the movement. Celebrity is based on popularity, and feminism is not a popularity contest. In fact, a good way to gauge how feminist your politics are is how unpopular they are in mainstream society, with heterosexual men and male-identified women in particular. A leader takes her followers from point A to point B. If we have leaders in this feminist movement, we need to ask over and over again, where are they taking us? Do we want to go there? Should we go there? Does going there translate to greater physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual liberation for us personally from heteropatriarchy? Are these feminist leaders taking us toward conditions that are better for all women or just some? 
And equally as important as these questions about where our leaders are leading us are questions about who they are as both feminist and individual women. How do they treat other feminists? How do they treat their followers? How do they react to women disagreeing with them politically, to women challenging their politics? Can they stick to their guns when they're right? Can they admit when they're wrong? What kind of example do they set for women as political thinkers and activists, and also as human beings? A good feminist leader is a woman who inspires you and who you admire, as a feminist and as a person. A good feminist leader helps you become a better feminist and a better woman. This does not mean she makes you feel good all the time. In fact, she probably won't make you feel good more than half the time, at least in the beginning. Raising your consciousness out of the male-identified gutter is uncomfortable. It's difficult. Nobody likes being critiqued or being held accountable for her bad choices and harmful actions. A good leader will do both and won't flinch when the women around her hold her accountable and point out her own political shortcomings. Good leaders help you grow. If you haven't changed after a year of feminism, you aren't growing in a feminist direction. Find new leaders or leave the movement if you don't want to change. Perhaps one of the most valuable things a feminist leader can do is create a space where women can have intense, heated conversations about feminism without spiraling into unproductive, dramatic conflict or getting turned off to the point they abandon the movement. In other words, a good feminist leader spends just as much time listening and being quiet as she does speaking. She gets women thinking and talking even if some of them end up vehemently disagreeing with her. She helps women talk to and listen to each other. The only side she takes is feminism's side, and she does not take any woman's political disagreement with her personally, even if the woman disagreeing with her is wrong. That said, instead of looking for a leader to tell you what to think and how to live as a radical or lesbian feminist, look inward. Allow feminism to change your consciousness and therefore inevitably change you. Follow the material, the movement, rather than any particular individual woman. You have enough life experience that you can arrive at the truth all on your own if you follow your thoughts all the way to the end. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 75th edition podcast on feminist leadership and organizing in the USA. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views. Thank you so much, Jessica Gonzalez, Amy Sousa, and Katie Jean for speaking with us. This is Thistle signing off on another WLRN podcast. If you like what you're hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Shiawal signing off for now. And this is Aurora Linnea. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will be focusing our program on the subject of surrogacy. 
Our handcrafted podcasts always come out on the first Thursday of the month, so do look out for it on Thursday, the 4th of August. If you would like to receive our newsletter notifying you when each podcast, music, show, and interviews are released, please go ahead and sign up for that newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thank you for listening, sisters. This is Emily Ann signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna. The second and final song in today's podcast was Help Me by Macy Gray. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please comment, like, and share widely. for the patriarchal kiss how will we find what needs to be shown and then after that where is home